0: how much would you want to be paid for your soul is there a price she says no she says no but really it's the Faustian story doctor Faustus went and he wanted knowledge and and what else but he just power Uh, and and there are people that that sell their soul they they don't actually sell their soul to the devil but they sell it in other ways they let go of their soul and today's scriptures, these are powerful readings and they're all connected around the same stuff. About the need to suffer and struggle and go through a dying process in order to find oneself and to find life. It's, it's the central theme of our whole faith. Um, there is a quote from the Second Vatican Council. Let me see if I, I always feel a little safer when I try to read these things. Uh, talks about the Mass in the second Vatican council there was a a renewal of of every every one of our sacraments there were changes that were made to uh, to clarify and strengthen their power and one was the Eucharist and there was a real clear teaching that we got that there were two parts of the Eucharist the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist and both were about consuming consuming the word eating it taking it into our heart and soul like food and then taking the Eucharistic food the body blood of Christ and being fed in word and sacrament that we would be strengthened in faith and be able to go out and profess our faith and it said this about it It says first of all it's the oldest mystery the paschal mystery that jesus died he rose and he'll come again that's our center of our faith that's why we come on sunday to, to renew that in our lives and it focuses uh, most powerfully uh, at a climactic point we consecrate the bread and wine and then there's this eucharistic acclamation personally the one I like the best of all they dropped we used it for about 15 years and it was Christ has died Christ is risen Christ will come again that's it as simply put as possible Christ has died Christ is risen and Christ will come again that's what we come back to say again and again we never get tired of saying it because this is the whole focus of our lives this is the whole focus of our church this is the whole focus of the gospel and right at the core and center of that is the idea of finding our soul. Um, but we can also lose our soul. Uh, how many people ever saw the movie A uh, Man for All Seasons, the story of St. Thomas More? It's incredible. It's an old movie, 1966, I think. I recommend you go to Netflix. It's the story of a saint, Thomas More, who opposed King Henry VIII, who separated from the, the Church of Rome. And this is why Henry wanted a male heir. And so he married his first queen. She didn't provide an heir, so he divorced her. And he had been married in the church. So he went right to Rome and said, Give me an annulment, Pope. And so they did. They gave him an annulment. He married a second time. She didn't produce a male heir. So he asked for another annulment, and the Pope said no. So he left the church. He married a third person. He split off from Rome. He formed the Church of England or the Anglican Church or the Episcopalian Church. And about half, whatever the number, half of the bishops stayed with him and stayed in the Church of England, and then half stayed with the Pope in Rome. But these people got persecuted, and Thomas More was one of them. He had a huge edict, a letter that he wanted people to sign to show their support, to back him up, and Thomas wouldn't do it. He was a total Catholic. And so they imprisoned him, and they tried every pressure possible, and finally they had a big trial and accused him of treason. But he was a, a very able lawyer, and, and it's, it's worth it just for the wit in this film as he responds and, and traps them all. He's just brilliant. But finally, the way he gets accused and, and, and actually uh, becomes uh, the treasonous uh, and, and the one who will die for it is because uh, a young man, Richard Rich, that's really his name, Richard Rich, uh, lied. He lied under oath. And that was what they used to accuse him and, and to convict him. And so, as he's leaving the courtroom, Richard Rich, and he's about to pass Thomas More, who's now accused and going to be put to death, he turned to me and uh, he said, Richard, may I see that medallion? He had a medallion. He had been made Attorney General of Wales, uh, the, the one of the, uh, the countries of the United Kingdom. And so he takes the medallion, he says, uh, he looks at it, and this shows that he had received this office. This was the bribe. This is what he got for it. So he said, hey, Richard, he says, what profit a man to gain the whole world but lose himself? But for Wales? Wales was not all that significant. It was becoming significant, I guess. But for whales, you would sell your soul. And the selling of his soul, he didn't go to the devil, but he gave up every value that he had that was important just to gain something. He turned traitor against his friend just to gain something. Now, in contrast to that, um, I was watching Giselle Fernandez on, on the the Spectrum. And she does this interview series, something like, called like... A, Life in LA, or something like that. She goes to a person and, and interviews them and looks at their life and their work. And there's this man, his name is uh, Levi Ponce, or maybe Levi Ponce. He's uh, from Salvador. Uh, maybe he was born here, but his father's from Salvador. He, he tells the story of how his father walked six years through Mexico, walked to get here. And people helped him with food and little things along the way. But that was his goal to get here. He gets here and he begins a business of uh, mural painting and, and, and painting on walls and, and numbers and signs and all that kind of stuff. And so um, his son grew up by his side and would uh, paint with his daddy. And so he went into this works, it became a passion for him. And um, he lands the biggest job he could have ever imagined. Right over here by the zoo it's called um, uh, Imagine Works I think, it's, it's Disney. Pardon? Imagineering? Okay. And there uh, he he had an incredible salary and benefits uh, galore and he got to explore his imaginative creative work. But something was lacking. He was losing his soul. He knew it. He was getting a lot of money, a lot of security, but he felt guilty. Now this is him. Somebody told me after, well, there's nothing wrong with making money. And I said, you're right. But for him, he knew that he, that was becoming the goal. That was becoming his soul. And he didn't like it. Because he had grown up with the need and desire to serve others and help others and uplift their spirit. And he was doing it with art. And now it was all about him rather than others. So he quit. He slowly quit. And he was increasing his work of painting murals in the city, starting in Pacoima, where he grew up. And he did it because he said, it's a trash heap here. He looked at his city and he said, it's deteriorating, it's awful, there's no life, no life-giving stuff in the city, it's filthy. So he began to paint these huge murals, uh, like the back of the church there, a huge mural. And, um, and, and he began to find his soul again. So here's the difference. You, you lose your soul or you find your soul. and How do you do it? I was um, looking a few weeks ago at this documentary also I think on Netflix. It's called Becoming. And it's about uh, Michelle Obama's uh, book tour to sell her book Becoming which I read. And it's really about going to 24 cities and, and signing books and her interaction with people and you know in the interviews and all. And in it she said that she loved talking to the youth that that just became an important thing to her always was and she said she'd always ask them this question something like this what are you passionate about where is your passion or what brings you the greatest joy in your life what what experience or activity brings you the greatest joy and she'd stir that pot trying to get out of them where their passion lies that's where the soul is where this passion is where we find the deepest purpose and the deepest meaning. And so, um, in reflecting on this, these scriptures, they go right to the, the core of it. They go right to the core. And they tell us that, that we have to go through the process, the paschal process, the, the process of dying and rising. This is, this is not something we've got to do to follow Jesus, like to suffer or sacrifice because he says that's a good thing just to sacrifice and suffer. But it's the process by which we find our soul. And it's the process by which we get more and more and deeper and deeper into it. Um, the verse that we sang just before the gospel, the Alleluia, this is what the words of the verse said today May the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we may know what is the hope that belongs to our call. <laughs> Enlighten the eyes of our hearts. I love this image. I love this uh, big eyeball right there on the heart looking at the world. Because see, these eyes see all the different colors here, they see dimensions and size and and all kinds of things. But it's this eye, or the eyes of the heart that see meaning and purpose that are the soul. And when we look at the world through these eyes, it's completely different. For one thing, when when we're going after material possessions, these eyes become very important. We evaluate real quickly, how much is it worth? How much is it worth? But these ask the same question, how much is it worth? Is it worth having it all? Should we give it all away? So Jesus speaks to to Peter. And last week, he patted him on the back because he, he came to a conclusion, a truth in his life. He had an insight that changed his life. Jesus always fishing for the faith of people starts it with a conversation. He says um, to his disciples, who do people say that I am? What's the buzz out there? What are people saying? And so they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he turns on Peter and he says, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. He names his messianic a role he tells him and and Jesus says whoa Peter he says no mere man has told you that this is divine knowledge that you got my father gave this to you it was inspiration and Peter knew somehow he came to that knowledge and truth and so he says you're a rock and I'll build my church and it's a beautiful scene immediately following is this passage so after uh, Peter's all puffed up and they're all the happy spirit, I'm sure, he says, well, the Son of Man has to suffer and die. And the, the Sadducees, the scribes, the Pharisees will put him to death. On the third day, he'll rise again. And Peter pulls him aside and says, what are you saying, Lord? You can, I'll never let that happen to you. And he says, get behind me, Satan. This is the strongest language, I think, that he says. I, that we heard last week when he says, the Pharisees, you're like tombs. Filled with dead men bones, but pretty on the outside. But this is, this is stronger. You're a Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You're looking at this with these eyes. But you've got to look with these eyes. God will give you these eyes to see. Now, he says, if you want to follow me, you have to pick up your cross daily. Every day. Many times a day. And you must die to yourself if you're going to find yourself. Personally I think the the even stronger image or the one that that gives the the best meaning to it is when in John he says unless this little seed goes into the ground and dies it remains just a seed with potential. That's it. But if it goes into the ground and dies it will take root and produce much fruit. And that's the Paschal mystery that Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about literally uh, going on a cross although some people have done that. But but he's talking about the the crosses that come our way that we don't choose, but they can be illness and struggles and financial difficulties and divorce and pain and sorrow and, and rejection and all kinds of those things. That's a dying process to deal with those things. And if we don't die, they will kill us in a different way. So, for example, someone in your family hurts your feelings deeply embarrass you somehow they they make you a fool look like a fool and you are hurt and that hurt turns to anger and that anger turns to resentment and you haven't talked to them in three years bad that experience your cross crushed you but the cross is supposed to be an experience where we die to something and rise to something more there's always something more so we take that hurt, that anger, resentment, and work it in a spiritual way, going with the eyes of the heart and soul to let it go, to let it die, and to to overcome it. And Jesus did it perfectly on the cross. He, he's the most simple example. You've heard it a thousand times from me. They accused him. They arrested him. They him him. They spit on him. They put a crown of thorns in his head. They beat him. They made him carry the cross. They nailed him to the cross. They lifted him up on the cross. And as he's dying on the cross, they're mocking him. And he says these incredible words. Father, forgive them all. They know not what they do. That's dying and rising. Father, forgive them all. He could have said, I'll see you all in hell. He didn't do that. Father, forgive them all that's dying rising that's the paschal mystery and that is it's not follow me to be like a good little Christian he says that's the key that's where you find your soul and it takes spiritual energy to go done today I, I really believe we're being invited into the call the call of Peter the call of all the disciples but but that's not enough to just patient and hear the call What we have to do is to embrace the cross as the central mystery of our lives. That's why we come here and gather again and again. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again.